This is 50 Feminist States, a road-tripping storytelling podcast visiting all 50 U.S. states to interview feminist activists and artists about their work for gender justice. From the glaciers of Alaska to the dunes of Indiana, I want 50 feminist states. From the waves of New Hampshire to the skies of Montana, I want 50 feminist states. Hi, Hoodie Feminist States fam, Amelia here. Today I'm bringing you a very special episode from one of our very own 50 Feminist States podcast fellows. In case you missed my announcement earlier this year, the 50 Feminist States podcast fellowship is a three-month paid opportunity to learn how to podcast and then record and produce an episode of 50 Feminist States. I opened applications for the fellowship in February, and throughout March, I worked with three amazing fellows, teaching them how to podcast and inviting them to imagine their own episode of this podcast, 50 Feminist Estates. Those fellows' names are Mary L. Chang, L'Oreal Thompson-Payton, and Angie Iglesias. And today, you're going to hear my conversation with L'Oreal Thompson-Payton as a way of introducing you to her before she has her very own episode on the podcast later this summer. I want to share that L'Oreal and I were friends in Chicago before she became a podcast fellow. I have been a fan and follower of her work for years, and I was thrilled when I saw her application and learned that she really wanted to learn how to podcast. She's a really talented writer, and I know that whatever she does in podcasting is going to be amazing. Here's a bit more about L'Oreal. L'Oreal Thompson-Payton is a Baltimore-bred, Chicago-based freelance writer, editor, and motivational speaker dedicated to centering and celebrating Black girl magic in all she does. Her work has been featured in Bustle, Hello Giggles, Self, Shondaland, The Shine App, and Zora, just to name a few. You can follow her on Instagram and Twitter at LTInTheCity and subscribe to her weekly motivational newsletter at LTInTheCity.com. In the conversation you're going to hear today, L'Oreal and I talk about her book project on trusting your dopeness and what that means to her. We also cover some of her background as a freelance writer and how she's had to work to overcome imposter syndrome in her career. And then we talk about our favorite Beyonce songs. If you want to hear more from 50 Feminist States, you can head to our website, 50feministstates.com, to subscribe to our newsletter. You can also find us on Instagram at 50 Feminist States and support us with a donation on our Glow FM page. All those links are in the show notes, but for now, you're definitely not going to want to miss this episode. Here's L'Oreal Thompson Payton. Hi, L'Oreal. I am so pumped to be talking to you and introducing you to 50 Feminist States listeners today. Could you just start by introducing yourself and telling us why you applied for the podcast fellowship? Yeah, thank you so much for having me and for this opportunity. I'm really, really excited. And I believe in representation, that it matters always and in all ways. And in storytelling, especially in podcasts, um, Black women are underrepresented. And that's my whole life's mission and motto is to increase that representation, to be a voice, to share my voice in hopes of helping others. And so that was, uh, and besides being a big fan of yours as well, (laughs) applying for the fellowship and hopefully gaining the confidence to eventually start my own podcast because it's something people have been asking me about for a while now. And it is a goal of mine, but I, the perfectionist in me just gets a little bit uh, wrapped up in the detail. So I appreciate what we're learning and doing here in, in uh, building that confidence and skill set. And then about me, I'm a freelance writer, <laughs> a blogger, <laughs> and 
motivational speaker, soon to be author, a, a Jane of many hats, but they all center around storytelling and empowering uh, Black women and girls is me in a nutshell. Uh, I love so much of your work and all of the platforms in which you share it. And I can't wait until you have your own podcast. I'm so excited. Not to put any pressure on, but like, I'm pumped. <laughs> Yeah, I'm nervous, excited, anxious, all the above. Totally. I mean, part of the reason the fellowship exists is because the like technology and logistics of creating a podcast can feel really overwhelming. And I don't want them to be like, I don't think it has to be, it can be pretty easy as we've, you know, mostly discovered together through the fellowship process. So I know listeners probably don't know, but I know that your book is about trusting your dopeness and I believe imposter syndrome among other things. So what does trusting your dopeness mean to you? Great question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It is about and it sounds so cliche, but it's so true. It's believing in yourself and just trusting the skills and the talents and the gifts that you were born with. For me, I know it's not new, but it first came to me in a pep talk, actually, a friend of mine, Melissa Kimball, who runs Black Creatives. Um, at the time, she was at Ebony Magazine, had invited me to do a Twitter chat, and I was feeling hella imposter syndrome because even though it was about supporting Black girls, I was on a panel with a woman who runs a nonprofit for Black girls, and I just didn't feel like I was enough, that my experience was enough in this particular conversation. And Melissa really drilled into me that, you know, you belong here, your voice matters, you have a lot to contribute, you just had to trust your dopeness. And I was like, light bulb moment, Oprah, aha moment. And it just like, (laughs) clicked in that instant. And so that's what it means for me is just just trusting that not like your inner Beyonce, almost, you know, or whoever insert person here that you admire, who exudes confidence and been into that and living that out on your own terms. What are what are some like examples of moments in your life where you've learned to trust your dopeness or had to do that? Yeah, I think the biggest one or the first I mean, there's so many and not that like, oh, I'm so dope and I'm so great. But just like looking back in hindsight, there are. Been, I mean, <laughs> yes, <laughs> thank you. Um, a lot of opportunities probably early on, because I feel like as children, we're very confident. And it's not until like middle school, maybe high school, especially um, speaking for myself, like as a young woman, you start to get those insecurities. And in college, I studied abroad. I went to Spain. I stayed there for a semester. And there had to be an element of trusting my dopeness there because for my whole life, like even college, I only went 30 minutes away from my parents' house. Even though I lived on campus, I was still relatively close to my comfort zone. So this was the first time I stepped out. Um, I remember listening to Kelly Clarkson break away on the plane (laughs) and crying. (laughs) And the elderly Spanish guy next to me was just like trying to help and console me. But I was just a hot mess. And then eight years ago, actually moving from Baltimore to Chicago for a job and a boy who's now my husband. So it has a happy ending, but <laughs> good. I had to trust that I had what it took to be digital content editor at Jet Magazine. Like this is an iconic publication, a mainstay in Black households across America. I read it when I was growing up. And so that my mom actually says she like, it's a good thing you only had two weeks essentially to pack up my life and move halfway across the country. I think otherwise the doubt would have gotten to me. I would have been like, oh, this is too much. I'm not qualified and like try to find a way out. And the time limit really kind of forced me to jump into that. And then switching careers, 
to nonprofit PR, from journalism, switching back to journalism, writing this book. I mean, there's so many instances where I've had to have to tap into that dopeness and trust it and live into it. And it's not perfect. It's not streamlined. It's not linear by any means. It's very messy. And that's part of the reason I want to write a book about it is because I'm still experiencing it. Like it's not something that is one and done and it goes away and you like live happily ever after, you know, every time you step out of your comfort zone and do something new, you have to challenge yourself. You have to trust your dopeness. You have to lean into your superpowers in order to make that happen. It doesn't, at least for me, it hasn't gone away yet. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you don't just like get to the top of the trusting your dopeness mountain and stay there forever. <laughs> it's like, it's like skiing all the time. You're just always trying to, yeah, trust yourself, believe in yourself. There's always something new, a new fear always crops up and you have to have those resources to, to address it. So I'm wondering, and I'm not trying to get you to give away too much of your book here, but I feel like it just lends itself to a sort of like question. That's like, wh- what advice do you have for people who struggle with this from your own experience? And maybe you'd want to speak specifically to like, what advice do you have for black women and girls about trusting their dopeness? And I know that that's so important to you. And like, how is that? What do you want to say to them if they're listening to this podcast? One of the chapters, and this can all change because we're actually on submission now. My agent has sent the proposal to different editors at different publishing houses. The proposal and what actually may come out of this, you know, years down the road could be two different things. But one of the chapters is actually, I titled it Channel Your Inner Chad. And it's interesting because I read (laughs) an article This I skimmed. I want to go back and read it more in depth, but an article on L.com about doing away with politeness and not in the the need to be rude, but I think particularly as women of color, especially as Black women, it's like, oh my gosh, you have to work twice as hard to get half as much. You have to be super nice because heaven forbid I ever have a bad day and I'm not smiling and people think, oh, she's an angry Black girl. And so I think there's a lot like overcompensating of, you know, the dotting your I's and crossing your T's to make sure that you come across as professional and polite and make yourself palatable and fit into this Mm -hmm. box. And I remember actually when I was leaving Jet and my mentor and big sister, who I love very much, Kyra had told me to have the confidence of a mediocre white guy. And at the time, I didn't really understand it because this was 24. 14, I believe. But then when the election came around in 2016, I was like, aha, that's what (laughs) she meant by this. I finally (laughs) understood, like, here we have the most qualified candidate ever, like politics aside. And I know it's a political thing, but like, just looking at the straight resume and the facts, like, here's the most qualified candidate. And here's a really loud, mediocre white guy. And the fact that he was able to win over Hillary just really set for me what she was saying in that moment. And I think so many times I know colleagues of mine, friends of mine, myself, um, have talked myself out of opportunities and jobs and promotions and et cetera, because I'm thinking I have to like meet all of the qualifications. And there's a Hewlett Packard uh, study that they did internally with promotions. And they found that men would look at it and be like, oh, I have 60% of the qualifications. I'm going to go ahead and apply. And women would be like, well, I have to have 100% of the qualifications, at least like bare minimum before I even think of applying. And what we do is 
self-reject. We pull ourselves out of the running before our resume, the cover letter, even lands on the hiring manager's desk. And we're doing ourselves such a disservice. And so that's the first thing I tell mentees, colleagues, friends, associates, whoever will listen, like just go for it, apply, throw your hat in the ring. Like don't do yourself the disservice of rejecting yourself. Give yourself the chance, like let them reject you. You shouldn't reject yourself. And it does have a lot to do with, and I don't even think it's a confidence thing because, you know, I like to think of myself as a very confident person. And yet that self-doubt tends to creep in, that imposter syndrome can get the best of us. And so when I just think like, what would a cisgender white male do? Oh, (laughs) you could just go for it. Like there's no questioning at all. And that is, um, and it's not perfect. I know that it gets a lot of, not controversial, but people are talking about it now. Like, well, you shouldn't really think that way or you know, that's giving them too much power, et cetera, et cetera, and all that other stuff. And I do think there's truth to that. And you can't deny the fact that like, they do run the world, (laughs) you know, and so there is something to that. And I don't have to model their leadership style necessarily, but I can certainly learn a thing or two from just going for it and putting my hat in the ring. Yeah, definitely. I hear you on it's like, this sort of, it's always like both and. So it's like, sometimes we need to think like, what would that like cis hat white man do? And then we do that. And sometimes we think that we do the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just depends on knowing the situation. And I think also, you know, part of what you're saying, is like trusting yourself and trusting that you will like your values and your needs will guide you to those right opportunities and just kind of channeling that sort of confidence because at the end of the day, the confidence is instilled in those chats because society has never questioned them and has always uplifted them. And so many of us don't have that experience. And so like, we need to act as if we would believe that society would support us. And that can really, as you know, like totally drain and demoralize you over time. And so I'm wondering maybe I see you talk about this on Instagram. So I'll just ask, like, what are some of your favorite like self-care practices for those moments when you like you're trusting your dopeness, you're trying so hard, and it like is still the world is just still not there with you on it. How do you take care of yourself in those instances? I'm a big believer in a brag book or a feel goods folder. And so I I think it's probably the writer in me. I just like that documentation. So when people reply to my newsletter, you know, I save those comments and the compliments where they're like, oh my gosh, this one really resonated with me or thank you so much for sharing your story. Same goes with DMs and texts. Like I just like having that record that I can look back on on days where I feel like crap or I don't think I'm good enough or I'm wondering, is this even worth it? Like, does anyone care? Is this really reaching the people that I am intending it to reach? And those reminders, those notes mean everything to me. It's, it, it, and it was validation. And sometimes, you know, you shouldn't look outward, look inward, but like I'm human, you know? So yeah. uh, who doesn't <laughs> like to read nice things about them? That helps a lot. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes also just turning it off. Like this weekend, I really needed a break. I was coming off the heels of National Infertility Awareness Week, which is another topic I'm super passionate and advocate, uh, advocate for, and am living through as well. 
And it just took so much energy out of me that I was like, I am not responding to text. I'm watching TV. I'm going to do my yoga. I'm not going to spend this much time on social media because not necessarily in reference to last week, but generally speaking, the comparison because social media, you look at it and I have to remind myself, okay, this is someone's highlight reel. And I can't compare that to my behind the scenes because I know all the messy details that go into my life when you look online and you see this person got a book deal, this person wrote for this place. And for me, it can be really like, I'll be feeling really good about something that I did. And then I see someone else's accolades and then immediately feel like garbage because, you know, they have something I want or something that I'm working toward and it's still taking me a while to get there. So there have been people, no fault of their own that I've like had to mute <laughs> on social media just because it's like, Hey, girl, you know, you're doing your thing and I'm so proud of you and you go out there and you get it. And this is triggering for me. So I have to like put some boundaries in place and you know, boundaries is something I'm still working on. It's a work in progress, but shout out to therapy. So all of those, you know, kind of tools and measures I put in place to Protect yourself and protect your mental health. People say self-care and the first thing that comes to mind because it's been commodified is like bubble baths and spa days, which are nice. Don't get me wrong. And sometimes it looks like practical measures of I'm unfollowing this person because looking at their posts makes me feel bad. And that's okay. Yeah. Boundaries are dope to use your language. Yeah. Okay. So to wrap us up, as anyone who's listened into these interviews knows, I asked you uh, all the fellows to submit questions and you submitted one of my very favorite questions. And now I'm going to ask you, which is what is your favorite Beyonce song? It's complicated because I mean, there's like a different Beyonce song for every era of my life, I feel like. And so my, and I know I submitted this, (laughs) but it's like a trick (laughs) question because I don't have a single song, but as far as albums go, which I feel like as close as I can get to picking a favorite four is my favorite Beyonce album. And for so many reasons, but I think it was around the time I started dating my now husband and I really saw Beyonce coming into her own. I know that she was pregnant with Blue Ivy at the time, but like the creativity and the songs, it's like a great R&B love album from start to finish. You got some party tunes and it's just fun and I love it. And I know that she's in a whole different plane now because after that we had the self-titled album and then uh, Lemonade, which is just a masterpiece in and of itself. Yeah. And um, sometimes I just like to think about, you know, to a time of a, a simpler Beyonce, if you will, <laughs> you know, kind of before <laughs> it all like erupted and four is, is that album for me. Oh, I love that. I spent a while thinking about what how I would answer this question and I eventually came up decided that my my favorite song was love on top so i feel like we're on the same that's our wedding there. song that was our first dance um so it holds a lot of a special meaning now if we go into destiny's child like writings on the wall that album is undefeated in my opinion so as i say you got a beyonce album for every era of our lives yeah oh we're so lucky i know right <laughs> Uh, amazing. Well, uh, L'Oreal, is there anything else that you want to share with 50 Feminist States listeners before they get to hear your whole episode that you'll do in a bit? But anything else for today? No, I think we touched on a lot. Your questions were great. And I'm excited to continue the fellowship and continue learning and have some conversations and hopefully 
create a really good uh, episode that you know you'll be proud of and the listeners will love as well. Oh, I am, I have complete confidence in you. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of 50 Feminist States. You can find show notes at 50feministstates.com slash podcast and follow us on Instagram at 50feministstates. Special thanks to Danielle Sines and Jessica Neria for our theme song. Until next time, wild ones, we'll see you on the road.